Yo, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of River City. I mean, God, I'm going to say River City 93. Welcome to this week's episode of Can I Kick It? I got everything in my head. I got River City 93 stuff going on. Can I Kick It stuff going on. It's a whole lot going on. Prayer for Damar Hamlin. It's a lot. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Uh, I can understand that. We preseason. Yeah. yeah, man, listen, this last, like, what, three weeks has pretty much been the Murphy's Law of my life. Like, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong, so I'm hoping the rest of the win for the rest of January. Right. Honestly, like, man. It's like, what, we're only, what, eight days into the new year already? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, when, when, when is spring break? <laughs> listen, I'm drinking coffee. I'm drinking coffee on the Sunday. That's where we are. Yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> also, that also tell you we're all above thirty. So now we're at that point now where like we got to stretch before we get in bed, like because we yeah. Don't, my doctor just told me you got to stretch when you get up too. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. like, I got, I'm fortunate to have a black woman uh, doctor. She's like, girl, you supposed to be stretching. You you too old. Like you can't get out of bed anymore. Yeah, and just go. Know. You got to stretch first. I was like, yeah. hey. like I'm not anymore. <laughs> I got up this morning and stretched. I was like, ooh. Ooh, yeah, hold on. Sometimes, feel it. sometimes, <laughs> pulling stuff to pull it, like just oh, all right. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So, guys, we. Well, this is coming off of like our last episode that we did with the USMT um, uh-huh. All Team Eleven. So, if you haven't, make sure you go check that out. The link sure. is somewhere out here. So, make sure you go check that out. Um, trying to get all the housekeeping stuff done before we jump into the topic we got today, which is really cool, which kind of blends off of the last topic that we talked about. Um, also, make sure you go to twocentsfc.com. Our work is there. We're partnering with them. So make sure you go check them out to support them and everything. And yeah, I think that's about it. And also, I totally forgot, I did not introduce y'all. So joining <laughs> me on the show today is my man all the way out in West Bumblefuck. It's Mr. Shamir Durant for a second. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. <laughs> it's Cumberland, man. It's Cumberland. Oh, you out in Cumberland? Oh, yeah, right. yo, he out there. Yeah, out there, man. Yep. So, for those yep. who don't know, Sills is from Virginia. She's from Petersburg, but she moved out to the West Coast because yeah. she got uppity and decided she didn't want to be in the all country. Right. So, all he right. knows how country Farmville is. Yeah. And the reaction on your face when he said Cumberland, you were like, wow. Mm. <laughs> I only go to Cumberland when I have to, and I ain't really ever had a reason to have to. Man. <laughs> like, I've been like yeah. once or twice in my life. Man. <laughs> it, it's a I bet you can get like a 10 bedroom house for like 200K though. Like, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. If you with a lot of land too. Yeah, with uh, all the cows, with the cows included, man. I know. If you want a farmland, go go to Cumberland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and also joining me on the show, the woman who I just joked about moving out to the West Coast is Sills. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing better. Like I was saying uh, before we got started, I just everything that can go wrong has gone wrong in the past, what, like three weeks or so in my life. So uh, as we get ready to cover this draft, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> things start oh, going yeah. on. Also. Y'all got the, uh, what, NWSL draft coming up? How, how are yeah, man. I'm sorry? How are things coming with that? They're coming. Um, we got some hopefully exciting things going on, both with uh, being able to check in with players and and hopefully some executives. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we got some people who've been elevated into some pretty dope positions over the past year. So, uh, this is their first draft. So, yeah, hoping to check in and then the coaches conventions in town as well. So, checking in with the black coaches uh, organization too. All right. So, yeah. who has the number one pick in WSL and? Are they as excited as Chicago Bears fans for having a number one pick? Oh, yeah, the Bears got it done. They tried not to, but they got it done today. Um, <laughs> the number one pick now goes to Angel City FC. There was a big, big three, four-way trade. Well, three-team trade, four teams overall. Um, so I can do this quickly. Angel City sent their number five pick in the first round in 200 
$250,000 to Portland to get Yasmeen Ryan, uh, championship midfielder, black, black midfielder for the Portland Thorns. Angel City then flipped $200,000 and Yasmeen Ryan and their second round pick next year to Gotham because Gotham originally had the number one pick in the draft and Gotham wanted Yasmeen Ryan real bad. So they did that. Then Gotham turned around and spent $350,000 to go get the number two pick from Orlando because the assumption is they will be picking Michelle Cooper, who is a midfielder from Duke, who just won the Mac Herman trophy. Actually, a young black woman just won the Mac Herman. Um, And the number one pick is supposed to be another young black woman, Alyssa Thompson, who's a high school senior from right here in Los Angeles. So uh, that is supposedly how this is going to break out, at least for the first two picks. And then after that, a lot of wheeling and dealing going on now that there's free agency uh, and the cap goes up a little bit and more, I think, for the WSL to stay competitive. But um, yeah, it's going to be, it's already pre-draft chaos and it's going to be more at the draft. So you got some good players who just declared and they have until tomorrow to declare. So we expect a few more big names. All right. Well, that should be fun. <laughs> that was my summary. Sorry. That was a long one. That should be fun. Angel City has be a busy time of year. <laughs> right. Um, so if you want more NWSL news, I recommend you highly go check out uh Sil's other baby, Shea Butter FC. Go yeah. check them out. Yeah, they we'll do be touching amazing on work over there. They're so awesome. Yeah. Um, but guys, let's go ahead and let's dive into the topic topic. We are talking about Ernie Stewart, the guy yeah. who I like to call author, uh, because he does look like author. Um <laughs> I didn't even think of that. He does. Like, if you put a picture of Arthur and Ernie Stewart side by side, you got to put them in a yellow sweater. See what happens. I'm pretty sure he has one. Now I need. Now <laughs> it's I quite possible. <laughs> um, but we're talking about Ernie Stewart. We're 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 gonna we're gonna focus on his career and how his job has been as U.S. well U.S. national team manager, general manager. Um, how that's all kind of worked out and everything. Um. But Shanair, I think you did the research on his playing career, man. And if I'm not mistaken, he's a dual national from the Dutch, right? Um, I I guess he would be able to he would have been able to to play for the Dutch national team, but he is an American. He's he's a US Air Force Army brat. Um wow. he grew up in um in the Netherlands because his father was in the Air Force. Uh, and he was stationed in the Netherlands. And so that's where he grew up. But, you know, he's, you know, he's a unit, he's a U.S. international. He he could have, uh, he, he's played most of his career in the Netherlands. Um, just a one-year stint at D.C. United. Uh, but other than that, he's mostly over there on the other side of the pond. Um he he grew up in um I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to pronounce this Vechel, uh <laughs> Netherlands and uh that's that's where he spent most of his childhood and and they didn't really move around much. I guess he was uh his father was stationed there for a very, very long time. Um and he started his professional career at Venlo um in the in eighty-eight. So he did two years at Venlo. Then he moved uh, to Willem II, then to Breda, then to DC United, and he ended his his club career back at Venlo. So um, he's uh, so backtrack a little. Ernie Stewart is a midfielder. Um, from what I remember of watching him play, because I remember watching uh, a lot of a, a lot of him play, I. I remember him most of what i remember from him was the 98 world cup and he did a little bit in the 2002 world cup um i vaguely remember hearing of him in 94 i was only seven so <laughs> yeah, a great memory yeah, one in 94. Uh, that's my first world cup that i remember yeah that, it was it, 94 is the first one yeah and he i mean Ernie Stewart was, if you were to compare him to a player today, I guess Tyler Adam would be close to the type of midfielder he was. 
Okay. Although he was a bit further up the field than Tyler Adam, That's although his, the way he played, the way he was defensively was very like Tyler Adam. Um, he he did play striker sometimes, but he was more of a 10 slash eight, eight uh, on the field. Um, he was a good player, very solid, a very physical player. Um, and he was kind of like an enforcer on, on that U.S. men's national team. Um, he was basically uh, your kind of like your deputy. He wasn't the captain, but he was like the deputy of the U.S. men's national team. And and just his 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 stature, his presence, and just the way he carried himself on the field. You just he was that guy. You don't mess with him. And um, he made his presence known to opponents in every game, almost every game he played. Um, when he played for uh, Venlo. First time around, 62 appearances, 15 goals. Then he spent six years at, at Willem. And uh, that's that was 170 appearances, uh, 49 goals. Uh, did a seven-year stint at Breda and scored 50 goals in that stint. Um, just uh, one season with DC United uh, and made 47 appearances four goals and you by now you're in more of the twilight of his career so he was basically kind of brought in as kind of more so of a player who was going to be that leader for the young players coming up around that time um so so i mean you, you know you every once in a while you'll get a club that will sign an, uh, an older player to just to bring in that veterancy and and to to kind of be the one to show the young guys the ropes and that's that's who Ernie Stewart was for DC United. Then I guess went back to Venlo and that was kind of for him like going back home. Um, didn't really have that many appearances. Just just I think we had how many was it? Six appearances, one goal. Just kind of a, a nice quiet end to his career. Um, but Ernie Stewart is, um, he was part of my squad, <laughs> just for the record. He was part of my squad because I really, <laughs> just, the guy, the guy was a, he was a midfield destroyer who, who could take part in the attack is basically what you, you would describe him as. And, um, I loved watching him play. I loved watching him go around that midfield and completely disrupt what the other team was trying to do in the midfield and when he whenever he'd win the ball he'd always be looking to make that forward pass make that killer pass to break through the lines and maybe break between that midfield and defense line so that the u.s team could then turn around and then move start moving forward yeah so i, I want to ask you this there about his his playing career in terms like you kind of see he goes to Venlo. you got the william to move but he never seems to break like that tier of like PSV, Feyenoord, the Ajax, like the heavyweights in Dutch football. Hmm. Do you think like and I, it's, it's probably hard to tell? But do you think he was ever looking for that move, or do you think he was that guy that was like, no, this is where I'm at, and this is where I know, not know what my level is, but this is where I can compete at and win it? Because if you go look at his history, like. I don't think he's ever made it played in Europe or won any trophies per se. You know? and I think um, no, he didn't. Yeah, oh, no, I, I don't think he won any trophies. Um, but he, I, I think he was comfortable at Venlo, and then he and when he went to Willem and then Breda, it, it was he felt comfortable. I think because I, I think geographically they're not too far from the uh, hell, so he he was like i'm home and i'm get to play at a high level at home because i mean at the end of the day we don't hear a lot and especially back then we hear a lot about your um the, the air divisi but we need to remember that this is around the time where ix was at their peak this is the yeah. time where ix was 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 churning out talent and talent and talent and talent and so he's playing in the same league as these guys and he's and uh at the time i think ben um venlo was was comfortably lower mid table in the era divisi 
so they, they it wasn't like they were a yo-yo club or anything so he was consistently playing at that high level um even though it wasn't the televised level it was still the high level because you're you're playing along uh, um against ajax who still had challenges in uh clubs like rotterdam and um uh vitesse and uh what was the other one uh psv mm -hmm. uh so you're you're playing in a league where there's there's a lot of time he definitely had a situation in which he got comfortable where he was he was playing well he was playing consistently and i think it for him it was a good move to stay where you are comfortable stay where your level is at and stay in your lane and, and he did that very well and is a staple at willem is a staple at Breda, and is a staple at venlo especially with the appreciation of him coming back to the club at the end of his career so yeah. Now shift a little bit more to his national team career. I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't see Ernie Student play in the national team because I didn't realize soccer was like a big sport until maybe like eighth grade. And I was like, oh snap. People play sports outside of football? Like this this is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like we do this. So Jeanine, like you said, like you watched them at that ninety-four World Cup, and I think you played what in three World Cups, ninety-four, ninety-eight, in two thousand two, right? Yeah, he did. Three. A little bit in 2002. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, how was his national team career? Because, like, you talked about, like, he was that enforcer. But when I look at, and this is someone that didn't see him play, when I look at Ernie, I think about him as kind of like he's the cherry on top. Because the way how those teams are always talked about, like, you always hear about Lexi Lawless and, you know, Eddie Pope. You hear about more about the heart. How can I put this? You hear more about the, like, enforcer guys and i don't put ernie in that category so what made ernie the quote-unquote first enforcer like you put it? well because ernie stewart is for example a, a, a good example would be a player like ngolo Kante. no matter okay. how good he is he's not going to be the first name that comes to your mouth when you name the teams that he was on when you look at less you think of Riyad Mahrez you think of um uh Vardy. you think of 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 Vardy but yeah. that he N'Golo Kante was the engine of that team without N'Golo Kante they are not winning the title he goes yeah. to Chelsea same thing without N'Golo Kante he's not winning that title but the big names at Chelsea were the ones that were you know getting all the notoriety I mean this is fresh off of DJ Drogba leaving uh, retiring and, and, and a couple years before leaving leaving Chelsea and Chelsea is just trying to churn out excuse me more talent and of course we know for the most part I, I think Paul Pogba is 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 one of the few outliers but central midfielders are not the popular one they had ones that are on the you in um you're, you're looking most of the time times it's going to be the wide players the striker the 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 center backs i mean when you look at virgil van dyke eddie pope uh um alexi lalas um you look at at, at, at um john terry uh these are big names that are on the back line but the center midfielders don't really get a lot of the notoriety because they are basically the one that do the dirty work they are the protection for that back line they make the back line look good and they are the ones that start the attack and then we always like the finished product but what starts the attack doesn't really get that much popularity so uh eddie pope i think when you look at Eddie pope and alexi lalas which i personally think was probably the best back two we've ever had um he did a lot of work in front of them him and claudio reyna did a lot of work in front of them and claudio reyna gets a lot of the notoriety because he was captain captain reyna um so without being the captain ernie stewart is not going to get that much clout um and, he, and and we need to look at a lot of the players he played alongside you're you're looking at like you said eddie pope alexi lalas who are big names eric Winalda. um a guy we've interviewed ourselves, Kobe Jones. 
these are big names and big players that that can really draw the eye with some of the stuff that they can perform on the field. Um, but Ernie Stewart did the simple things well and did the simple things consistently, and that's what what was able to to qualify the United States to all three of those World Cups. So he would played a big big part in you know that midfield and and the the especially when you look at how CONCACAF can be <laughs> even at a US team that can easily breeze through like we know how we know how those games can go so um yeah i i i really think Ernie Stewart is is a one of the unsung heroes of the US men's national team yeah, true. Sales, I'm going to kick it over to you, homie, because right. you looked up his term of being, well, you looked up his time as being USMT GM. And well, I looked at his, his entire, like, yeah. sporting career. Yeah. There you go. See, that's that's what I have you for. <laughs> you did more than what I, I did. Yeah. Um, so, if I'm not mistaken, I think he starts off in the Netherlands? Yeah, it's a club. I'm not going to try to say the real name. It's NAC. Okay. Uh, Breda, uh, yeah, same club that he had played for for a little bit. There we go. Uh, right. So he starts at Breda. Obviously, really tiny budget, but he's got an end. He's clearly going to work his way up through the Netherlands where he played his club club soccer. Um, so he spent some time there. And then the sporting boss at AZ Alkmaar, yeah. like, who had been there for like 15 years and had gotten him to like top top flight football in the Netherlands and had gotten them into the Europa League and stuff like that. Dips, like they get into a bunch of financial trouble. Their budget's cut in like half from like 40 million, almost like 20, a little more than 20 million. Um, and so Ernie steps in, he says, okay, I, I'm gonna step in to this like untenable situation and see what I can do. He has to sell a bunch of players, all of this stuff. He brings, he gets through it. Like they managed to, not quite jump to the first league, but almost next year they sell more players. Uh, they bring in some names, including this is when Josie Altador gets to the Netherlands. He comes on that free transfer from what, so, like Villarreal. So Ernie Stewart is the reason why Josie ends up at Azar. Yeah, he comes on a free transfer from Villarreal. Yeah. Never want to do that. Because okay. he's got a shot. So this is where, so when Ernie goes to Alkmaar, he starts to get the name Moneyball because he's on a budget, right? So he's he's noted for his ability to find these diamonds in the rough, right? For no money or very little money because he doesn't have any, and they've had to sell off all their big talent. They were this, they were a big deal. They were competing with those big clubs that you mentioned before, the Ajaxes and whatnot. Like they were in competition with them. They were top of the table, and then again they went into this financial freefall. And so he has to write this ship and, and does it within a couple of seasons um, and gets a reputation. Like I said, Dutch football, it's not necessarily top five Europe, but in terms of that next tier, it's like the top tier of the next tier. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he gets this reputation and is able to do that. So he's, he's there from uh, 20, I want to say like 13, 14, something like that. Um, so he's there for about three or four years really gets them settled in the first division. I still believe they're there to this day. Yeah. Um, and so they're comfortably there. He leaves it in a good position to come to MLS. Uh, so he comes in 2016 to MLS to work with the Philadelphia Union as their director, sporting director. Okay. Um, and it's a newer franchise, right? So really just helping to build the structure and there's some really good articles that I got to read. I got to read an ESPN article about his time at AZ. And I got to read one about his time at the Philadelphia Union um, after he leaves. We'll get to that in a minute. But comes into this newer MLS club that's really unstable, doesn't necessarily have a tactical identity. It has an academy, which we now know is a pretty solid academy. <laughs> but like all of the stuff that surrounds it isn't really in place. Um, and so he really goes in and tries to lay that foundation, making sure they have a culture, a tactical structure, like the players that you were getting in are going to match the style of play that you want to play. He brings in people like Bedoya to really stabilize some of what that team can be, right? And they don't have a budget either. So again, Philadelphia brings him in in part because of his reputation to build a team on a budget. They're like, I think at the time, Philadelphia is somewhere like 15th, 16th in MLS in terms of 
uh, like revenue, what they can yeah. spend, that kind of thing. Um, and they just don't have a really good culture of winning at the top flight. Um, and so he starts to lay the groundwork for that. Um, so he's there for two years, uh, two seasons, I suppose. Like I said, brings in some names. I know he bought in Bedoya and oh, what's the other boy's name? This starts with like a hold on, I got the art above here. Uh, Doko, that's how you say it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to stabilize the midfield, like, of course, as a midfielder, right? So, part of his, like you were speaking to, right? Like, part of it is he's taking that on the field IQ that he has and his ability to see the pitch and plays into how he wants to help people build the team, right? He builds from the midfield. Yeah. Like this is a pattern of behavior he has over his teams. As a midfielder, he builds he builds from the midfield. He basically has a him at every level, right? Like he you know what? Honestly, that makes a lot of sense because if you yeah. look at how the men's team is built. Exactly. You, you, see it. you see it, right? You see it coming. He finds a him for every team and he can yep. find a him on a budget, right? Like he can find a him. Because it's about talent, but it's also about work, right? He's just you gonna out he's gonna outwork you. Um, and so I realized oh. that as I was reading, I was like, huh, he almost has like a dude who's like him on every team. Um, and so, yeah, he builds the union who aren't necessarily <laughs> world beaters by the time he leaves. But considering where the union are now, he very much can be given credit for laying yeah. some of that groundwork, particularly around the academy stuff, like the Aaronson brothers coming out of there and stuff like that. Like that's his, that's his footprint, right? Like that's yeah. him leaving his mark on that organization. I think he would have stayed with the union if his country doesn't call him, right? So we all know what happens in Trinidad, with Trinidad and Tobago. The United States men don't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Mm. The Federation, at least on the men's side, well, it's in disarray in general, but certainly on the men's side. Just all of this trying to figure it out. Ernie Stewart, of course, plays over 100 caps for the U.S. men's team. Um, still has those relationships with a lot of his former players, coaches, staff, things like that. Excuse me. So part of what the U.S. does on the men's side to try to fix it is to create a general manager position. There was never a general manager before uh, for the men for the men's or women's team actually. So they create the general man manager position, and he's the very first hire um, that they make for that job. So he comes in in 2018 to help try to to fix what is broken with U.S. soccer, um, which God, God bless anybody trying to do that. But um, still to this day, to this day, Come right? On. Like it's hit or miss for him too. Like <laughs> coming in, trying to fix the mess that that was, and trying to build a foundation and a structure and how we're going to build this team back up in first and to get to qualify for 2022 because that's clearly the objective. We can't miss another World Cup. We can't afford it. Like we need the money, and it's a pride thing, right? Like, you don't want to miss the World Cup. Um, so they bring him in, and then he actually only stays in the GM position for less than a year because there's that big overhaul and he actually gets changed to the sporting director. So for people who don't know, the general manager is essentially the front office person, right? Like they're in control of the budget. Like if you were a club team, your general manager controls how you spend the money. They deal with the salary cap. They deal with staffing. They do all of the hiring and firing. So they are the money people at the top of the pyramid before your ownership who make all of those big, big decisions, like the macro decisions. The sporting director is the right-hand person of the manager. Right. So they're more on like the on the pitch tactical person who's the second pair of eyes for the manager. And they're the go between between the manager oftentimes and the GM and the other higher ups. Right. They're able to relay that information because your manager is supposed to be focused on the football part. Right. Like they're supposed to be able to focus on managing their players. I mean, but it's U.S. soccer. Right. That all comes with its own stuff. But in theory, that's what's supposed to happen. Um, and so, again, it does help that there's, again, a lot of, I mean, with recent developments, we could talk about whether it's a good idea or not, <laughs> but he knows the manager and he knows other people in U.S. soccer. And so it's easier for him to be that go-between for who ends up being Greg Berhalter in U.S. soccer, right? And building that and helping build that roster and particularly identifying that young talent. So like you said, the player that's probably a lot like him is a Tyler Adams, right? So that's the person we build the team around, right? Like he is the captain, he is the heartbeat. He does a lot of the dirty work, he's unsung. But like him on the men's side, and I would argue Earth on the women's side, like as they go, everything goes, right? Like they are holding a lot in the middle of that part. Um, and so, yeah, like building that midfield is not surprising to me that that midfield is Musa 
and Adams and McKinney, right? Like building it from there yeah. outward. And then we are trying to figure out the striker situation or even our backline situation. Um, that has his handprint, like I said, all over it. And dudes that are like him, right? And dudes that can be unsung. Uh, that box to box, that tenaciousness that I will always get back and defend. I will always cover my spot. Um, very much shows up through US soccer. So in that way, I think he's done a very good job. Um, I think there's some areas in terms of just how how that coaching position is set up and, and who gets a chance to interview and who doesn't. But I think that's a larger federation problem. I don't think that's just on the men's side. Um, and I think you try to do the best you can within all of the toxicity that is um, that fed. And I do, I do think he wants to put the best team on the pitch, which is really his ultimate job and to make sure it's cohesive. Everybody doesn't have to like everybody, but like that it's cohesive and that there is a singular objective um, and whatever that is that everybody's working toward it. And so, I mean, just in terms of our success in, in 2022, right, in terms of getting to the knockout stages, making it at all, um, that seems to be the bar, right? Qualify and see if you can't, can't get to the knockout stages. I think with a really young team, the expectations weren't quite, quite there this World yeah. Cup. I think it's very much about building toward 2026 and that there seems to be really real expectations of this team to go far. Um, and so as they continue to build, as they continue to work around all the stuff that's swirling after last month, um, you know, getting these players ready for 2026, making sure they have, you know, the, the technical staff, the health staff, right? Making sure that they're healthy and fit, uh, making sure that mentally they're good um, and having whoever the coach is going to be in, in that position firmly. Um, so that there is enough time for them to all learn each other or relearn each other, whatever that looks like. Um, and having to make those decisions and having to deal with lawsuits and ongoing investigations and everything else that comes with seemingly our fed all the time. Um, I think maybe being in those positions, those pressure positions earlier on in his administrative career where he had to do a whole lot with a little bit um, and the pressure that comes from that. And like you either making it or you not, you don't, if you don't fix it, this team fails and it, it fails to, ex it ceases to exist. Like, I think that I has prepared him a little bit for everything that comes with being in that position at U.S. soccer and being pretty high up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that there is his handprint in, like, building some things to his image, for sure. So I want to ask this question to both of y'all because both of y'all might have, like, different perspectives or maybe the same perspective. Him having spent a lot of time in the Netherlands and also Greg Berhalter, who is his first hire as GM, also spent time in the Netherlands as well. I think that's right. I think he spent time in the Netherlands. Yeah, he did. Spider Rodgers. Because I remember Fox did a weird graphic with him and Louis Van Gaal both being a Spider Rodgers. It's, it's but I, I want to ask you guys this. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can talk about Fox broadcasting on a whole other show. But do you think that influence of spending in the Netherlands, do you think we're starting to see that take fruition in the U.S. team, both on the women's and men's side, of the way of how, like you, like you said it, like how he wants to, there's a style of player how they want to play now versus before it was the 4-4-2, empty bucket, be physical, mm -hmm. be strong, outwork your opponent, where now you look at his team, it's a lot more technical, it's the 4-3-3, it's you know, we, we have certain players that were growing up in certain positions. Do, do um, coming from Ernie? Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, Shana. Uh I was going to say, I think what we have, and I think it's really good coming from Ernie Stewart, is we have a hybrid. Okay. Because the, 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 the identity of U.S. soccer, and it's something that I've, I've talked about with the kids that I coach, the identity of U.S. soccer is we may not be as good as you, but we will outwork you. And that Ernie Stewart is the embodiment of that. But he does have the influence of the Dutch technical style, the, the, the total soccer yeah. style that the Dutch play. And I think he sees that with the work rate, with the work ethic of and, and the athleticism of your typical American soccer player, there is a possibility to incorporate that total soccer in it. Because we, we need to remember that this U.S. team has a history of being workhorses. In the 20, 
when was it 2014 World Cup, the one in in uh, Brazil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The United States completely outstripped any other team by a country mile of distance ran. I mean, we we are the workhorses. That that is what the U.S. national team soccer identity is. And <clears throat> in order to get us to that next level, in order to get us to that level where we're competing at the top level, we're going deep into World Cup competitions, and uh, and and whatnot. And we're we're actually a country that when people go up against the United States, they're like, okay, we're going up against some top quality is in order to get to that next level, they needed to add that total soccer. And Ernie Stewart was the perfect guy to bring it. And I think it's it's literally, a, he took the identity of the US men's national team and he finessed it. Like literally, to, but he, 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 he sharpened it, he, he finessed it. He made it cleaner and less rugged and smash mouth. So pretty much he just chiseled down all the fat and was like, here. This is what a proper team yeah. is. I, I certainly yeah. think, and I, I can't speak as much to the to the women's side, right? And Kate Magraff has some say on that end, uh, which is not her style of play at all. She's very much a United States player. She didn't really play abroad. Like, she's very American. Um, I think Flacco is more total football than Kate Magraff is. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think there's definitely been more of a focus on possession-based football. Um, it's something we've really, I think on the women's side, been toying with since about mm, 2018, like pre-World Cup. Um, I don't know, it's really interesting, right? Because we certainly have the talent coming for it. I don't know if the talent's quite ready yet. Okay. Um, and I still think our advantages are, I think the American idea has always been to play into our athleticism, right? The idea that we prep our athletes in general very different than most countries do. Um, and like you said, that running, that workhorse mentality, that idea of like, you're not gonna outlast us for 90 minutes. At some point, we're gonna press you to death or we're gonna outrun you. I think our bigger advantage, particularly on the women's side, and it's really hard to defend, and I'm really interested to see how this goes on the national team level, is our speed, right? Like, I don't, like I just, we talked about the draft earlier. Alyssa Thompson might be faster than Lynn Williams, and Lynn Williams is about as fast as Killian Mbappe, right? Like, we have multiples of those coming out. So how do you then marry that sort of total football, possession-based football with the need to... There's going to be times in just pass the ball over the top. Nobody's going to catch it. Like, if you've got three of those on the front line that can put it away, right, who are good enough on the ball and they're amazing shooters, like your Michelle Coopers, who might end up being the best shooter we ever produce on the women's side, um... Because I saw that at the college mm -hmm. cup, and I was like, that might be better than press. Like that—that's the best shooter I've seen from distance at, at that, and it's like 20. So, I, I think it's helped diversify us, right? I think we have a lot of utility players now that we didn't have before. It's not as specialized. You have a crystal—I mean, no one's crystal done, but like you have more of those coming, right? These yeah. people who can play play on multiple lines. Um, so, I definitely think his influence is there right there is that dutch total football influence here and valuing on the ball skills and valuing possession and slowing down the game at times um but i i think we'll find a happy medium as we continue to go on but i can definitely see the influence there because that's what that's what ernie stewart played for i mean most yeah. of his career he played dutch football so of course it's going to show up now I, when we talk about the men's well when we talk about the national team of course we know there's a lot of discussion going on about uh <laughs> some of the families, I can't even say with a straight face. Um, so some of the stuff is going on. We're proper footballing nation now, man. Yeah, we're, we're proper. We're proper now. Oh, oh we're not talking about it because trust me, we did. Oh no, we that's that's game. some. Yeah, that's a whole different show. <laughs> I wouldn't push that on anybody, man. Yeah, that's... we'll look. We'll push oh, that on the, uh, for the culture family and let them talk about it. And by the way, go check them out. Um, they probably will talk about it soon. But I want to ask you guys this question, man. Like. When it comes to Ernie Stewart, and we know that Greg Berhalter gets a lot of the heat, whether fair or unfair, you know, what we're looking at is in the discourse of it, you don't see a lot of national team fans or media members kind of come at Ernie like you do at other sports. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. if, like, all right, I'll put it out there. I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. Mm. And we fired our GM because he wasn't 
getting the players needed to keep the team going. Right. You know, and I'm all, I'm wondering, like, why doesn't Ernie get that kind of same heat? Because it always the discussion always turns to Bear Halter. It's Bear Halter. It's Bear Halter. But you never heard anyone say, oh, it's Ernie. Ernie's not doing this. And I'm wondering if that conversation is different, A, because of is the national team general manager, which is very different than the club team manager, or just because the public and the casual fan isn't aware that we have a, you know. I think it's, I think it's B. I think a lot okay. of it is B. I don't think they think anybody else is responsible for player selection besides Greg Brown. You know okay. what I mean? I think he, I think they think he does all things. Like he's a Bill Belichick guy. Like he's the coach and he's the GM or he's the coach and he's a sporting director, right? I don't think they understand that there is somebody else helping pick those players besides Greg Berhalter. Because, I mean, honestly, most people don't even know where Ernie Stewart is there. Like, they don't know, especially the casual fan. And so I think if they knew that, he would catch a lot more heat. Okay. Shanae, what you got, man? Uh, I, I, I think I, I think for the casual fan, yeah, he's he's out of the limelight. So it's convenient for him. But I think for the fan who's actually paying attention, when you look, the quality of players that we're bringing in is unarguable. When you look at what Weston McKenney has done, when you look at, <clears throat> I mean, the Leeds guys, you, your, your Tyler Adams, your, your Aronson, uh, um, I mean, of course, I mean, literally anyone who's really following soccer can't blame anybody for us not really having a striker because barely anyone has a striker nowadays like a true number nine uh but you look at all of where the talent is coming from you have some mls players in there who are at the top echelon of mls you have players who are playing in the premier league players who are playing in the the, the Serie A, players who are playing in la liga um the bundesliga you're looking at a squad that is literally a squad of pretty much all-stars. So I think Greg Berhalter gets the flack because it's like you have, have all of not creating a World Cup winning team with it. And I think that it completely goes on Ernie Stewart because it's like Ernie Stewart found all these players, brought all these players, talked to all these players, especially when you look at situations like Serginho Dest. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, uh, we have we have the son of a, of a Ballon d'Or winner on our squad. Like, <laughs> so I mean, yeah. uh, so we have the quality, but can can Greg Berhalter piece it together? And it's on, he's unfairly being judged for because when you look at it, like the U.S. national team was on average the youngest team in this past World Cup. So for a young team to go as they did, to to to, to do what they did to basically hold England, who who had just literally steamrolled Iran, to to a a, a, a draw, uh, to 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 go up against Wales and and show them what's what to 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 put Iran to the sword and move on to the, the next round. It's 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 something that for a young team, that's that's a pretty big accomplishment. Now, with all of the stuff that all of the drama that's been going on between between uh, us not qualifying for the previous World Cup to now, you're looking at a situation of people want things to change quickly when it's like if you want things to change and especially with what Ernie Stewart is bringing this kind of hybrid of U.S. Netherlands to create the new US identity, it's gonna take time. Mm. And I think because of the talent that we have, people expect it to be quicker. And so Gre Ernie Stewart isn't gonna get the flack for it because he brought the talent. Now it's up to Greg Berhalter to make that talent work. Yeah, sure, understandable. And I mean, that's the pressures of being like USMNT general manager. Like you're overlooking all these different components. And from my understanding, I think this is one of the, I think it's, Maybe one of the first to do it because I, th I know other nations have like, like Germany has a board that kind of works with the manager to kind of pull and pick players. But you know, this is pretty much it's happened in U.S. history. Um, yeah. yeah. So kind of wrap it up a little bit. 
kind of put a nice bow on everything. What is what is Ernie Stewart's legacy? You know, like what how like 20 years from now, how are we gonna look back on Ernie Stewart? Not only as a player, but in his role and like what is his overall impact on the culture? I think his biggest impact is gonna be whatever this team does in 2026, right? Like he's always gonna have his hand on helping select these young players, right? And how far they go on home soil is gonna do a lot um, for his legacy. I think as a player, his legacy is already pretty solid, right? Like he's he's in the 100 cap club, like he scored arguably the most important goal to date, one of them in, in 94 against Columbia. Um, I love that Columbia team, by the way, so that always has heart. But um, I loved that team. Oh, um, so yeah, I, I think his legacy, like he's been a stalwart in the middle of the park uh, for country. You know, when it mattered the most, when that team up until now had the most talent. And so um, I think his legacy solid there. Uh, I think he'll be remembered for that. But I think whatever happens now with, with everything that's going on between now <laughs> and cleaning that up in 2026, I really do think what we do in the next four years and what we do in that next cycle is very much his his legacy. Um, and I think it'll go okay. Like, I think we have enough talent that they'll make a pretty deep run on home soil. I think that's sort of gonna help get the tide, the tide turned um, for men's soccer in the country. Um, and there, so yeah, they're, they're putting a lot on, on young, young men who are gonna hit their prime right in 2026. And so you're just really hoping that that comes together and that you have the right people in place um, to make that work. So to be determined, to be determined. All right. Shanara, any last things for you? All yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, when you look at what, uh, yeah, the, when you look at this 2026 World Cup coming up, we're hosting it. It's going to seriously be the U.S. national team is going to be in the limelight majorly, majorly for this for this uh, upcoming World Cup. I think where his legacy lies is what he does between now and then. Does he get involved yeah. with where some of these players end up playing? Because when you look at players like Weston McKenney, you look at players like Kristen Pulisic, they are probably the two most high-profile players on this team. And they are in very bad club situations right now. And if we can get a GM who has the ability or has the, the reach to affect where Kristen Pulisic ends up, where Weston, Weston McKenney ends up in the next year or so that will play a big role in how well this u.s men's national team does because what players like those they need reps your tyler adams your aronsons your uh um uh they are getting the minutes they are getting time that leads team is definitely is built around those those two guys but when you look at weston mckinney who is occasionally playing when you look at Kristen Pulisic who once every two months starts a game when you look those are those are the players that you want playing every in week out and and honing their craft and becoming the world beaters that I know Weston McKinney and Kristen Pulisic can become and they can be the the Kylian Mbappe and uh Griezmann of the U.S. Men's National Team. They could be those. I got I got to tell. I want to I know where you going with the Griezmann joke. I know where you going. The greatest running gag on Twitter, man. Oh man. Oh man. Um, guys, man, I think this is like a good way how to put a nice bow on it, man. I think like, I think the way how you look at Ernie Turner's career. I think you can look at it in two parts. Like the way how he runs the clubs or the national—it's kind of like how his playing career was. He's kind of very much out of the limelight, but he's hardworking. He does—he stays there for a while. It's not like the quick flash of the pan, like, "Oh, let's do this down," and then next one, let's do this, and then next one, let's do this. It's kind of like it's kind—I of, hate to say it, but Ernie Stewart—it wouldn't—it wouldn't blow my mind if Ernie Stewart has a vision board and he sits there and he's like. All right, guys, here's our one-year plan. 
Here's our five-year plan. Here's our 10-year plan. And he's just out there like cutting out pictures and whatnot. <laughs> like, just imagine it with like magazines strewn everywhere. He's got a couple Pinterest boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Like, but I think that's what, I think that's what US soccer needed. Like if you if you go back and look at 2018 and all the conversation it was of how lost we were and what's his direction, I kind of think Ernie Stewart kind of comes in there and he like he doesn't put himself out there as like, oh hey, I'm the one cleaning it up. But like for instance, like go back and look at the coaching search. Like we were with Dave Sarah for a whole nother year where we were all clamoring on Twitter and we were wrong about it. It was like, yo, hire a coach right now. Like you're you're the GM hire coach now. And he kind of waits his time. And he's kind of just like, yo, let's let's put the system in place first. Let's kind of clean up, you know, the weeds and edges and hedges around the piles. And then let's find a coach that can fish that out play. And now, granted, how Greg got the job, that's a whole discussion for a whole nother day. Yeah. Because the Rainers will let you know they ain't like it until they boy won't play. But that's a whole nother discussion for another day. But I think, like, what Ernie is doing is key and important. So I think that's a good way to put a bow on it, man. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, I think the best way, yeah, that's the best way to wrap it up. So let me stop trying to talk and add more before we make this hour long show where it doesn't need to be. So for you guys, man, I just want to say thank you guys once again, listeners, for taking the time of your day to listen to our show. Um, if you feel inclined, go down to the link below. You can donate to the podcast. For like, I think it's a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month. Um, all donations are welcome. You know, um, trust me, they go help out to produce these shows so we can access the articles and do some of the creative stuff um, that we love to do for you guys. And um, Chanel Sales, I want to personally thank you guys for doing the research because this has been an amazing episode with y'all. So I look forward to doing the next one. Maybe Jermaine can join us. Jermaine's yeah. stuck at work right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> we, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> for my two co hosts and myself, man, we just want to say thank you guys. We will holler at you guys next time. But as always, keep us on the good side, y'all. Holler at y'all later. <laughs>